Good morning, Redemption Church. That worship was lit. My goodness. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship to get our morning started. Nothing better than to come here and uh, lift up our voices together in worship. So a couple of announcements this morning. Uh, If you're new here, uh, let me say welcome. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church, and we're glad that you chose to check us out this morning. And a big old welcome to you. A couple announcements. Shoe boxes are due today. If you forgot them, go home and get them and bring them back because they're packing them and they're leaving. So please bring those in if you haven't brought them. And uh, the second item is Christmas Eve service. What are we going to do? Christmas Eve falls on a Sunday. So we had some decisions to make. Um, What we're going to do is Saturday night at 6 p.m. is a Christmas Eve service as well as regular services on Sunday, 9 and 11. No Christmas Eve services at night, though, okay? So Saturday at 6 and normal services on Christmas, or on Christmas Eve, 9 and 11, all the same service, all Christmas Eve message. So put that in your calendar, figure that out, how you want to arrange your day for Christmas Eve. But with that, we're going to get started here because we got, we got a lot to cover today. I'm guessing everybody here has planned a celebration at one time or another. And there's a lot of components that go into a celebration, right? I mean, party planners have created entire careers off of planning the best celebration, arranging these different components to bring their clientele the best celebration possible. Uh, A celebration really is a recipe. There's different items that go into a celebration. First one being, maybe top level here, is what's the purpose? What's the purpose that we're celebrating? You know, is it a birthday? Is it, a, is it an engagement? Is it a wedding? Is it some kind of achievement? There has, to be, there has to be some kind of purpose behind why we're celebrating. The second thing that we often consider is where should we celebrate at? Should we rent some tents and and put them in our backyard and, and have, have, have the venue right at our house? Should we have it in our house? Should we rent a space somewhere? Where are, we gonna, where are we gonna hold this celebration at? And the third thing, which sometimes is the most important, is who do I want to celebrate with? Who do I wanna share my joy with? These are things that we consider. I remember, I remember in grade school, playing on the playground, and like you would, you would hear your friends or, or kids kind of talking about, man, my birthday's coming up and we're going to do this. We're going we're, we're gonna to go to laser tag or we're going to go to the chess arena. Anybody remember that? That was awesome. Uh, we're going to go to the YMCA. Man, my parents rented it out. We get the whole pool to myself. And you would hear these things. And, you know, as a kid, you would hear them. You'd be like, man, I want to go to that celebration. That sounds pretty fun. I, I want to be invited to that celebration. And, you know, maybe you were friends with this person and you were pretty confident you would get an invitation. Maybe you weren't and you're like starting to try to rub elbows with them. Like, hey, you want to come over here and play some basketball with me? But in about one to four weeks, depending on when the parents got the, the invitation in the mail and it got sent because that's how life used to work. You would wait for Mel to come. You didn't have a Facebook group that you got instantly invited to. You would long for that invitation. And, and you know, also, there's times in, in, in my life where I've been invited to things that I'm like, 
want to go to this. You know, maybe my, my schedule conflicts. You know, it's like, I don't want to take eight kids to this at all. This is too hard. I got to pack them up. But the point is, is that everybody controls the RSVP, right? Like we get, we get an RSVP with, with, with an invitation. Either you have to call or, or it's real simple now. They, they provide a, a, a pre-postage little note card that you just send back and you, you either check mark, I accept I'm coming or I regretfully decline. And it's really simple. Like you don't even sometimes have to talk to anybody. You just have to check mark a box, ship it in the mail, and you've been released from all responsibilities going to that event. Well, today, the sermon is going to be through Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, and it's titled RSVP. And we're going to dig into some of the components of a celebration, and John is going to make the case of why you do not want to regretfully decline the invitation to this heavenly celebration. So if you would turn with me to Revelation 19, 1 through 10, I will read and then I'll pray. After this, I heard something like a loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous because he has judged a notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality. And he has avenged the blood blood of his servants that was on her hands. A second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke ascends forever and ever. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne saying, amen, hallelujah. A voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all his servants and the ones who fear him, both small and great. Then I heard something like a voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thunder saying, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure for the fine linen represent the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. Then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that we have the curtains peeled back a little bit to see what is in store for us as your believers. Father, we thank you that your word is true, living and active, and we pray that it would pierce our hearts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The text this morning is really in response to last week's message. If you missed that, if you missed that and you're a visitor and, and you want to know how to get that message, go to our website. We, we put all sermons on there. Go to, uh, we host all of them on podcasts as well. You can cue that up at any time. But it's really in response to a message that we had last week. It was, it was God's final judgment against Babylon. Now, Babylon is, is a symbolic representation is where we're going to land for this message of everything that is contrary to God in this world. 
meaning every sinful action, every sinful establishment, kingdom, every, and every sinful leadership, everything on this world that is unholy is wrapped up in this entity called Babylon. And chapter 18, which Pastor Fred preached through last week, gives us a detailed account of the judgment of, of her wickedness and of her unholiness and sinfulness that she represents. And in addition to that, it's that wickedness and sinfulness that we all love as the world. Our passage opens up in a celebration. A celebration in response to her destruction. In fact, this passage opens up very uniquely. And you may or may not have caught it. It sure didn't catch my, my attention when I first uh, started reading this. But it, it goes like this. The multitude in heaven, those are the redeemed believers in the gospel, shouted what? Hallelujah. Now, that doesn't seem very unique in our, in our church repertoire. I mean, we sing, we sing worship songs that are hallelujah all the time. We use it day in and day out in our, in our church lingo. Well, it's, it's important to recognize the word hallelujah here for one reason, and you may or may not believe me. Pastor Marty was like, if you know Pastor Marty, then th this is his phrase. You're lying. You're lying. That's what he said to me. Hallelujah is not used anywhere else in the New Testament except for these first seven verses. And it's used four times. That's interesting. And we should recognize that. It's an Old Testament word that, that was used in the Psalms a lot when there was reverent praise to God. And it's not used anywhere else. And I'm like, come on, in the gospel, somebody didn't say hallelujah to Jesus. Nowhere else. Nowhere else is it recorded. So today we're going to camp out at these four hallelujahs and we're going we're gonna to take notice of them, of why and why the, the importance of them, of why we don't want to miss this party. So hallelujah number one, if you're following along. Salvation, glory, and power belong to our God. That comes right from the verse. Verse one, after I heard something like a loud voice of a vast multitude in heaven saying, hallelujah, salvation, glory, and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous because he has judged a notorious prostitute who corrupted the earth with her sexual immorality and he has avenged the blood of his servants that was on her hands. The scene of heaven opens up with a roar of praise because this harlot was judged and destroyed. I mean, this causes people to celebrate, but why? Like, why are, we, why are we celebrating the destruction of Babylon? Well, if we look back at, at chapter 18, verse 20, it says, rejoice over her heaven and you saints, apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced on her the judgment she passed on you. Why should you want to be part of this celebration? Because the, the affliction and the effects of sin that she judged and placed on you, God turns it around and places it back on her and uses it for vindication. I mean, I think this is where like the old adage is, I'm rubber and you're glue. Whatever you say bounces off of me and sticks to you. I mean, it's, it's biblical. Who would have thought? 
But God's carrying out justice on your behalf for all the turmoil that sin has caused in your life. The multitude, the multitude was in slavery to this sin, right? And now God uses that as a reason to judge Babylon herself. And it, it causes celebration, not only because of her fall, because the multitude recognized, man, I was entangled in that. I loved my wickedness. I loved everything in my humanity that, that drew me apart from God. And God saved me out of that. And now I'm watching it fall. Like it's no more. In our humanity, like as we sit here, sometimes it's easy to think like, man, God's delayed. Like because we're still living, we're still living right now. And Babylon's raging on. Man, God's, man, he's late. He's late to this party. Why is, he's too patient. He's too patient. But do not let the patience of God diminish the magnitude of glory through the justice he's going to bring on your behalf and the salvation through it. His patience is to bring others to him through repentance. It's, his, it's grace that he does not come and, and, and just destroy Babylon right now because there's friends, there's family members that we want to see to come to Christ. We thank God for his patience because we want to see people come into the fold. Imagine watching every affliction, everything that you've ever endured, fall quickly and swiftly at the hand of God. I mean, you would say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. This is a prophetic celebration and it should be an encouragement to us. The difference between prophecy and prediction is that biblical prophecy, there is no if, it's when. Prediction is like, ah, something might, I'm gonna say something's gonna happen and then we're gonna see if it actually plays out that way. That's not what biblical prophecy is. Biblical prophecy says, not if, but when. This is coming. And this should be an encouragement to us because we're living, man, Babylon, look at the world. We're not finding any encouragement from the world right now. We are going on a one-way street and it is not to a good place. But we have to let the end motivate our current circumstances. We have to hear that. You have to, no matter what's going on, no matter what the news says, we have to let the end motivate our emotions and everything going on in this world right now. The text says her lies and deceptions have caused even God's blood or God's servant's blood to be spilled. Like it's the blood's on her hands, which tells us that the sinful world does not want or desire God at all. So what does that say for you living in this time in between? If you walk as a Christian, you need to expect persecution. Blood is on her hands. I mean, this is the kind of persecution that you should expect. If you walk in the light of Jesus Christ, man, the world is coming after you. But again, God will not stand for it. 
He will not stand for it. He will avenge those who have fallen to her corrupt ways. Remember Revelation 6, when the martyrs are crying out and he's like, be dressed in this just a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Well, a little bit longer is over at this point. He's avenging their blood. It's a celebration. It's a celebration of victory. And we have to be able to cheer now. How? Well, when we fight our sin, when we fight the temptations of temporal pleasures in our lives, when we fight idolatry and the love of money and and sexual immorality in our lives, when we fight that and we choose to live differently than the world, then our lives as believers become a a foreshadowing of what what God's going to do in this celebration. We stand out. We stand out. And not only do we stand out, but we're in an alignment with our Savior. This is what Christ wants us to look like in this world. And when we overcome our sin, we don't, we don't tout it to ourselves. Like we're not like, man, I used to do X, Y, and Z and I'm, I'm just self-disciplined. I'm, I'm awesome. The, the reality is, is we love Babylon. We want everything contrary to God. And the only reason that we don't want it anymore as believers is because Christ came and saved us. And then he left and he sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in us so that we can overcome these these daily temptations and to, to separate us and make us look differently than Babylon. So when we overcome and we become a foreshadowing of this great event, even now in between, and all glory goes to God for what he has done in our lives. That's cool. That's what we have to be doing. We have to give God glory where glory is due. Hallelujah, number two. God's judgment is eternal. Verse three. A second time they said, hallelujah, her smoke ascends forever and ever. Why should we want to be a part of this celebration? Because God's judgment on sin is eternal. It's forever and ever and ever and ever. There is, it's not coming back. Her smoke indicates destruction. We already cheered for that. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. But the emphasis here is that her smoke ascends forever and ever. I don't know. I mean, you you make a campfire out in your backyard. Once that fuel's gone, I mean, it dwindles out. It may go a little bit. But the fuel of Babylon and God's wrath being poured out on it, her smoke will ascend forever. That judgment is forever. And the multitude cries out. They cry out because there's no need to worry that that thing, all those afflictions that have caused us to sin and be apart from God, those things never coming back. Never. Like if you struggle with anxiety, you know what impending doom is, right? Yeah. Like your, your mind is just running and running about possibilities that are in the future and you're like, and then they come back and they just sit and, and they're heavy like an elephant on your chest 
and you, it just affects you because of a possibility that it might happen, that's not going to happen. That's gone. There is no possibility when God makes a judgment. That causes for celebration. Everything's gone. That's why we can hold fast to that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Cancer, gone. Abuse, gone. Murder, gone. Hate, gone. Everything contrary to God is gone. Man, his judgment is eternal. His people will be in heaven screaming, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We await this day as the church. Imagine our, this morning, like our voices were, were lifted up, praising our God. Times that by trillions, and that's what it's gonna be like. No doubt, the totality of God's judgment is worthy of celebration. Hallelujah, number three. Celestial agreement. And let me explain that a little bit. Verses four through five. Then the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who is seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. A voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all his servants and the ones who fear him, both small and great. Why do we want to be a part of this celebration? It's because heaven agrees with it. Heaven agrees with it. Throughout the book of, of Revelation, you know, we, we read about the description of these four creatures, and it's kind of, kind of scary. <laughs> if it's a literal, if it's not symbolic, it's, it's a little terrifying. But apart from the symbolism, or the physical nature, <laughs> Apart from that, we see that those heavenly creatures and the 24 elders who are already around the throne join in with the multitude in praising God, shouting amen, hallelujah. And we know that they're confirming it because they're saying amen. Amen literally means so be it. Like it's a proclamation of agreement. That's why you hear people shout it out in service like amen. They're agreeing with whatever is being communicated at that time. And likewise, the 24 elders and the four creatures are agreeing with what the multitude are doing right now. They're agreeing with praise and glory and honor. This is okay to do for what has just happened. They're not sitting back looking at the situation and like, you know, they're doing work around the throne. I just imagine they have computers. <laughs> They're doing work and they're like, look, look behind and they see, they see the multitude. They're like, oh, they're cute, aren't they? They're, they're lifting up their voices, praising God again. They don't even know what they're doing. It's kind of like when you go to a, like a nursery school play and like, it's terrible, but cute. You know, that's what I imagine. Like, oh, but they're not doing that. They're not doing that at all. They're agreeing with what's happening and they're joining in with this heavenly praise and it, and, and, when they join in and agree, it, it provokes a voice from the throne. Now, we don't know if this is an angel, one of the 24 elders, it doesn't say, it could be Jesus, but a voice from the throne gives a directive that everyone who fears God, who is reverent towards God, are to offer their praise to God. 
the throne room is agreeing this with, it, with what is happening right now. He wants and he deserves all praise regardless of status or stature. And here, the reality is, is that every single person, whether you are in a third world country and you're a child and you hear the gospel message and you enter through the gospel, the narrow gate into salvation, we're all level at the foot of the cross. It doesn't matter if you're a New York CEO and you hear the gospel and you have everything in the world, but you too enter through the same gate. Everybody is level at the foot of the cross because we all need Jesus Christ for salvation, both small and great. And this directive, this directive from the throne, it starts this intensification of worship in heaven. Let's look at, look at the difference in verse six. It opens up in very much the same way as verse one. Then I heard something like a voice of a vast multitude like the sound of cascading waters and like the rumbling of loud thumber, thunder. <laughs> That's awesome too. The praise started much in the same way in verse one, but, but John is adding an illustration here. He's using cascading water and thunder as his only means to communicate what is happening, the roar of praise in heaven. It's the only way that he can, he can describe what he's witnessing. Now he, and maybe it's because he's on the island of Patmos and, and I mean, he's hearing these waves and he's like, it was kind of like that. Like when I couldn't hear anything because it was echoing in my cave. But I like to do different things in my sermon. So let me illustrate to you what John was trying to communicate here. So go ahead and play that. Well, that adds a little illustration. Like if that's what the roar of praise is like in heaven, and that's how John is, is trying to communicate it to us, man, that, that's something else. Like it's not gonna be like anything that we can even imagine. And this amplification of what John's trying to, to describe here is really a precursor to the fourth hallelujah, which is why this is all ramping up. So let's read verses six through eight here together. Then I heard something like a voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading water and like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has, has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Hallelujah, number four, the marriage union between Christ and the church has come. It's here. Why should we wanna be a part of the celebration? As Christians, this is, this is the moment that we are all waiting for, to be joined with, to be reunited with, to be with our savior in a, an eternal union, which is identified as a marriage union. 
Thousands and thousands of years have passed waiting for this event to come to fruition. Think of how loud a crowd gets like waiting for a main event. Like the prelims, you're like, yeah. And people are leaving, getting drinks. But when that main event comes, it is. Like this is, everything in time is leading up to this event right here. The amplification of worship is just enormous waiting for the marriage to come because it's unbreakable and it's a union with our savior. Generations upon generations have longed for and anticipated this event. Again, revelation is prophecy, not prediction. If we're in this already, but not yet, time period, meaning we're awaiting this union with, our, with the lamb, which is Jesus, and we're his blood-bought bride, the church, the believers who believed in the gospel. If we're living in that time frame, man, we, this, this text tells us what we should be doing. Preparing herself with what God granted us. Well, that's different than just saying a prayer and getting a ticket into heaven. Interesting. Verse eight, she was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. God has granted his bride with the clothes to wear in preparation for this wedding. They're bright and pure, because they represent, they represent something, our righteous acts that we should be doing right now. Interestingly enough, Babylon offers a contrasting view of dress. 18 verse 16 says this, whoa, whoa, the great city dressed in fine linen. She's dressed in fine linen too. Purple and scarlet, not pure and bright adorned with gold, precious stones, and pearls. And we know that from the context of chapter eight, that is with everything worldly. Babylon pursues everything that is, that is sinful and worldly, and she adorns herself with that and prostitutes herself out. She's not dressed bright and pure. She's dressed differently. And this is, this is to contrast what the saints are supposed to look like. So we have to ask ourselves, who do we look like? How are we, how are we dressing ourselves? Are we dressing ourselves with worldly desires? Are we gaining up treasures here on earth and not doing what God has called us to do in preparation for the wedding? Now, don't mistake what I'm saying here as, as our preparation is some kind of moralistic duty to, to gain or achieve salvation. That's that's not it. This is, this is a contrast of what we should be looking like as redeemed believers. It doesn't get us access to salvation. And on top of that, God granted these clothes to us. He gave it to us. That's amazing. Like we don't even have to work for it. 
We don't even have to work for it. If we yield ourselves to the lordship of Christ, meaning we have, we have made him boss over our lives and we desire him, we obey him, we seek him in, in the knowledge of the Bible so that we know how to actually live our lives, then everything that he has prepared for us is right in front of our face. I mean, you don't have to look very hard how to do righteous acts in a world like today. Like you don't have to look very hard at all. You will stand out as soon as you start following Jesus. Ephesians 2.10 confirms this. I love the continuity of scripture. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Same language as Revelation. Same language. Church, your life has a purpose. It's not for the things of this world. It's for what has been prepared before time for us to do. Good works. For good works. And we should be pre preparing ourselves for this wedding. The, we the wedding analogy runs throughout the entire Bible. And it has to be understood in the ancient Eastern cultural framework with betrothal periods and things like that. But apart from that, I'm not even gonna go into that detail this morning. Think of our Western culture. Think about the intentionality that the bride takes to find a perfect dress. They search, they search, they go from store to store, trying on one after another after another, looking for that perfect dress, the perfect attire to present themselves to their groom. She wants to look her best for the wedding day. Not for herself, but for her groom. Like, so when the groom is standing up here and she's at that door, she wants to look so beautiful for him as he gazes at her, ready to receive her. Think of that. That's the marriage union between church and Christ. How are we dressing ourselves? We're waiting for this union to happen. We're waiting for our big day. And the big day's happening here. We're peeking through the curtain in Revelation 19. Consider how you're dressing yourself. You gotta dress appropriately. Not because you have to because you want to, because he's worthy. Because when he looks down that aisle, you want him to see you dressed in the righteous acts of the saints. The language here implies the bride has to put forth effort. The bride has to prepare herself. The Christian life is one of death to old and a putting on of new. That's what happens. So don't be deceived if, if, if you think that you're part of the body of Christ, but never lift a finger to pursue holiness. Don't live in that deception. Do not live in that deception. That is a very scary place to be because God's will for, for our lives, as 1 Thessalonians 4 says, is God's will is sanctification for our lives. That's a churchy word. 
that means the process of becoming more like your savior. Meaning you start here, you accept the gospel, you don't know nothing. All you know is you're a sinner and you, you need Jesus Christ. And then from that point on, it should be a trajectory up towards killing your sin and looking more like Jesus each and every day. We must consider the cost of redemption, the cost of what it took to save us so that it actually can motivate us to pursue holiness so that we can stand in those clothes that were granted to us by God and we can stand there bright and pure looking at Jesus Christ. Again, we don't work on, we don't work on ourselves pursuing holiness for salvation. Do not hear that. And we don't pursue holiness either for an invitation to this party. It's not like I got to do, I got to clean myself up to get this invitation. Mm -mm. Our preparation for this big day is after you've accepted the invitation. If you've not accepted the invitation, then you're preparing for a celebration that you have never RSVP'd to. That's not a good place to be. That means all these good deeds that you think you're doing, you know, you're cleaning yourself up. I'm a pretty moral person. I do a lot of good in this world. If you've never RSVP'd to the invitation to eternity in the celebration there, all you have are good deeds. Verse nine says this. Then he said to me, write. This is a directive for John to write this down. Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. By the way, if you think this is not true, I'm gonna tell you to write it down, it's true. It's like, he's talking to me. It does not say that the ones who are blessed are the ones who have worked hard preparing themselves with righteous deeds. The ones who are blessed are the ones who have been invited and have responded to that invitation. A woman, she can go buy a dress. She can find the most beautiful dress that money can buy. She can buy it. She can wear it. She can try it on day after day. But if a man never asks her to marry him, inviting her into a marriage union, then all the woman has is a pretty white dress. That's it. And I'm afraid too many people, too many people are dressing themselves up like that, dressing themselves up with good deeds, thinking thinking that that's gonna get them into heaven. And this, this goes for religion too. Too many people think that by doing X, Y, and Z in religious sacraments, that's my ticket into heaven. Those are all works. You, those don't get you into heaven. You're dressing for a day that you won't be a part of. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. We've got to take notice of that, church. 
So this morning, you know me, I got something special for you guys. If the, the guys would come down here that usually do the offering, I got, I got something for you. I want everybody to, to, to keep, keep this. Don't open it. I'm watching. I'm going to pass these out and I want everybody to take one. And we're going to open them as a church. So just hold off. Just grab those. And um, if there's somebody else, Lou, will you help there and just hit this side? Thanks, buddy. And you can just pass them out and there's some stacks of 10. Just grab them. If there's extra, just put them under your seat. We'll grab them afterwards. And I'm going to keep talking to save some time here. The angel directs John um, in verse 10 because John is so overwhelmed with this news. He's peeking through this curtain, right? He's seeing this heavenly celebration and he's just overwhelmed. And verse 10 says this, then I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold firmly to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The angel directs John to worship God and God alone because of the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus is held on firmly by John and all the brothers and sisters, but also those in heaven. All the heavenly beings all hold on to this same testimony. We are unified with heaven right now through, the, through Jesus's testimony, which is a pretty cool thing. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, meaning this prophetic vision of a future event is dependent on what Jesus testified about. The idea is that the prophetic messages of the Old Testament all find their completion in the fulfillment of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. The entire Bible points to Jesus Christ. He is the culmination of God's plan of redemption as foretold by prophets of old and eyewitnesses that we have in the New Testament and even today through the Holy Spirit. Believing the prophetic testimony of Jesus is how you can accept the invitation to this celebration. His gospel has been casted out. He came to this earth and he casted out invitation to the world. It's open to everybody. He desires all to be saved. So with that, let's open this. Let's open this, in, this invitation My goal in doing this is to make you feel uncomfortable. Because <laughs> I enjoy it. <laughs> but there's internal weight here that I, if I'm a pastor, I get judged more heavily, Scripture says. And if you're here today, I want you to know there is there is a weight of eternity that is in your hand right now. And you have two options. There's no watered down third. Either you accept through faith in Jesus Christ 
the invitation and you'll be part of this heavenly celebration. Or you regretfully decline and you can send that away. There's only two options. Now let me speak to to how you accept this invitation because what does that mean? RSVP through faith in Christ, what does that mean? Well, it means that you recognize that you're a sinner. Means you've been living your life contrary to God. You need a, a, a savior to take care of that sin problem because that sin problem is going to be judged the same way that Babylon was judged. So you need a savior. You can't clean yourself up. You need a savior. You recognize your need for a savior and then you repent of your, your ways to God in prayer. You can say it any, any way that you want. I've been living apart from you and I need your saving grace in my life to save me. And I understand that sometimes like you don't really even know what that means right now. And that's the whole sanctification process. That's why you need to tell another believer that I've just made this decision. But when you ask, you repent and you ask God for forgiveness, he forgives you. And you have faith in what Jesus Christ did for you. And here's the reality. Jesus came and lived a perfect life, which you can't, no matter how hard you try. And he died on a cross, paying, the the wrath of God was poured out on him because of your sin, not because of his sin, because he was sinless. He was holy. He was a perfect sacrifice on your behalf. So God poured out his wrath and his anger on Jesus Christ when it should be on you. And faith in knowing that Jesus did that for you and that God God raised him from the dead, which just explains and shows that God accepted his, his payment for your sin. When you believe in that truth, he will give you eternal life. He wants your heart. He wants you to believe in him and what he's done on your behalf. You don't have to do a thing, but believe it. And then when you do believe it, it's time for preparation. If you're waiting for this big day, you want to make that decision, then it's time for preparation. You tell somebody, the church is about family. We should be together. So tell somebody, if you want to make that decision, we're going to hold off on the offering until the second song. If you got to contemplate that a little bit, we'll go through one worship song. And actually, the worship team can come on up here so we can move that forward as well. If you've already accepted Christ, then let me encourage you this morning. I want everybody to write your name on that M. Why is it an M? I don't understand. Maybe I'm, not, I'm just not scold. Oh. <laughs> if you're a believer, put your name on there too, Mr. and Mrs. And uh, indicate, or let me encourage you. Now I'm all mixed up. Let me, uh, let me encourage you that we should be in preparation for our big day. And uh, it should motivate you this morning. And if you... If you're not sure yet, I also want, I want you to be honest with yourself. 
Like, I want you to fill this out and hit regretfully decline. Like, be honest with yourself. Put that on there. Because this morning, I want, everybody has an offering this morning. Everyone has an offering. We're gonna put those in the bucket. And I know that's scary. I might know where you're at in salvation. Good, because I'm the pastor of the church. It's okay. But if you hit, if you're honest with yourself and you put regretfully decline, indicate you want me to talk to you. I'll be more than happy to get, walk through some hurdles that you may have. So with that, let's pray. Please fill those out. Don't be shy. Put those in the bucket. We'll pray. And then we're going to lead into worship. And then the offering uh, will be during the second song. Father, thank you for your word this morning. I pray for those that are here, that your word would encourage them for this big day that we are unified with you. And Father, I pray as, as many might be uncomfortable here looking at this invitation that, that was set forth, give them boldness to, to be honest with themselves and recognize the weight of eternity that is, that is in their hands at their choice. Give us strength, Lord, here this morning. Open our hearts as we continue to worship. In Jesus' name, amen.